And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the second best day of the week here for The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, of course, as we get ready to kick off this Thursday and it's kind of alert day, as we've been talking about here lately. Yesterday, markets sold off and are now sitting right on that 200-day moving average. And the important thing about this is that, as we discussed yesterday, there is a tremendous amount of program trading that runs in the markets uh, these days. We have so many computers and algorithms and everything else that are driving stock trading from one side of the ledger to the other that these technical levels are now becoming much more critical than they were ever in the past because this is where all these programs, because everybody kind of uses the same technical analysis in one way or the other, um, all these automated cell programs are kind of lined up at these same levels. So we're now at that kind of very critical level, which is that 200-day moving average. It's also where the uptrend line from really those October lows also intersects. So there's a tremendous amount of support right here where the market is today. Now, uh, Dow's up a little bit this morning, about 90 points. The S&P's down about 10 right now. NASDAQ's down about 75. Now, those, are, those levels have recovered markedly from overnight. They were down a lot more last night. Uh, they've been recovering a bit this morning. We'll see what they look like as we get closer to the open. But it's very important that markets kind of find some support here and get a little bit of a rally. Now, I want to talk about one thing here importantly. Um, and we touched on this in today's daily market commentary as well. So if you go to the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, you'll find our daily market commentary. I've already posted it this morning, so it's there. You can also subscribe to have it sent to you every morning at 7.30. But we always post a trading update of some sort in that, in that piece. And the one thing we talked about today was, you know, you've got to be careful when you get these breaks of support. Now, it is possible that we will break the 200-day moving average today. There's been a good bit of selling pressure over the last two weeks. Markets are oversold on a short-term basis, and there's been a real steady push of selling for the last couple of weeks. So again, if we break this 200-day moving average today, right below that is the 100-day moving average sitting just below the 200-day. So there's another level of support just immediately below that. So if we do break that, you may see some accelerated selling here very short-term, like for the day. And you might see a, a fairly sharp push lower if we break that level. And that's going to be that program trading kicking in. But you've now got this support sitting right below that. Now, what's important is, is and, and there's a reason why a lot of traders historically or investors, they go, oh, technical analysis doesn't work. You know, I had a stop loss, I got stopped out, and then stock went immediately back up. And that's because everybody is setting on these same levels. <laughs> so there's also program buyers sitting out there at these levels at well saying, well, if it breaks below this level, I'm going to start buying because that'll be a good opportunity. So it depends on where that program trading is set up. But what happens historically is we'll get these breaks of a moving average. Now, here's how to tell when to actually act on that break of the sell. Don't do it immediately. If we break below the 200-day moving average today, it's okay. Sit on it till tomorrow. We really need to see where the week ends overall. So again, if the market breaks below the 200-day moving average today, don't do anything today. Wait till tomorrow. 
because a lot of times you'll start to see some buying when, that comes into the market immediately around these support levels. You may go a little bit below that for a day or two, and then the market rallies up. So give the market a day or two to try to work through the break of any support that you get before you start taking action. So again, this is why when we talked about getting the sell signal two weeks ago, we took action back there to actually raise some cash in portfolios and to reduce some equity risk. And we've kind of been doing a little bit of selling all along the way, just trimming around here and there, uh, just to raise a little bit more cash and reduce risk. So if we get, do get a break tomorrow, we don't have to do a lot of work because we've already done some of that work. But again, if we do get a confirmed break of that moving averages and those supports, then we can uh, obviously take more risk off the portfolio. But be careful though, knee jerking the sell off if that happens. Don't immediately just, oh, it broke 200 day moving average, I'm gonna go sell right now. That typically historically many times does not work out well. You'll get that initial break and then the market will rally right back. So again, look for that break, but then look for a reflexive rally to sell into because if we do break that, we're likely to get a bounce for a day, maybe two, and then the market's gonna get some more selling pressure as traders that are kind of trapped into the markets look for an exit opportunity on the upside. So again, there's a little bit of a psychological game that goes on with the market. So, you know, when you're looking at, you know, at these technical levels, understand that there's a lot of program trading sitting there. You're gonna have some of these kind of knee-jerk reactions, but then there's gonna be buying that will come in as well. And particularly, when you have so many days in a row where you've just had this kind of a grind lower, it's what we call a selling stampede. Now we have buying stampedes and we have selling stampedes. Now earlier this year, from, from really January through early February, we had a buying stampede. Every day was almost an update. And, and when you, you know, even if you had a down day early, it rallied back at the end of the day as, as buyers were coming in. So we had this kind of stampede of buyers. Those buying stampedes typically last between 13 and 15 trading days on average. Now they can go longer. Um, obviously in January, that was a very long buying stampede that occurred. And a lot of that has to do with momentum. Well, now we're down into about 14, about 10 to 11 days of a selling stampede so far. So we're starting to get fairly long in that selling process of the markets. So again, you know, kind of, we're kind of starting to work through sellers, at least temporarily. So again, a bit of a bounce in the market would not be surprising. Use that bounce to sell into. Right now, if you could get a bounce up towards that 20-day moving average, that would be a really good opportunity to lift some exposure out at better prices. So again, just the, the whole point about where we are right now, and we're going to get into a lot more of this conversation this morning, is the market is now trying to figure out what the Fed is going to do next. And that's going to be the real question because Nomura Securities out this morning, they're one of the first banks to come out and say the Fed's going to hike 50 basis points at the next meeting in March, which is coming up very shortly. So that's now the first call for a 50 basis point hike. The Fed terminal rate, as we'll talk about with Michael Leibowitz this morning, is now up to 5.5%. So this whole idea of the Fed pivot or the Fed pause that was driving this market narrative really since October of last year is now starting to meet with the reality, which is that inflation is not slowing as fast as the markets were predicting. And there's really no sign right now that the Fed is going to really pause on rate hikes because of the strength of the economic data, which 
may be a real problem because something we'll talk about this morning as well is those job numbers, which there's a big lag to those job numbers and the way that that's reported. And that could really turn out to be a surprise later this year as the employment data is actually a lot weaker than what headline numbers currently suggest. So again, we've got a lot of stuff to get into this morning about the market, so stick around. Michael Leibowitz is gonna join me. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get our latest newsletter, which will be out this weekend. So make sure you're subscribed. We're going through valuations and earnings reversions this weekend and why that's important to your money and how we're trading that. That'll be in this weekend's newsletter. So make sure you're subscribed at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, daily market commentary, and of course, our Before the Bell channel. That's our new YouTube channel for our three minutes on markets and money we do every morning. So again, all there at the website, tons of stuff, all free, of course, to help you manage your money better. We'll be right back after the break. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show YouTube channel has all our videos ready for your easy access. Now with the new and improved Before the Bell reports, Candid Coffee, and Lunch and Learn replays, plus each day's radio shows like Technically Speaking Tuesday, Financial Fitness Friday, and the latest analysis from Lance Roberts and Michael Leibowitz. Subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show, or just click on the show links at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show good morning and welcome to the real investment show i'm your host Lance roberts so uh you know we talked the other day about women having advanced degrees you know that women make the best archaeologists yeah, they're great at digging up the past. So this morning I'm cranky because I've had no coffee this morning. My wife apparently has a mental disorder. I'm not sure exactly what it is yet or what the classification for it is, but about once a month she doesn't get the coffee pot actually fully into the coffee maker. And so you wake up with a kitchen full of... And since I get up first, right, I walk into the kitchen and there's... 12 cups of coffee all on the, the floor. floor. <laughs> so, <laughs> coffee grounds. It's a great way to start the morning, let me tell you. There's only one thing worse than that, and that's when you go to do your Keurig, which we have one here at the right, office, right. Yeah, yeah. and it's dark in the kitchen, and I put the mug in upside down. Okay, <laughs> Brent, I want to help you with this with this problem. There's this thing that's on the wall. Yeah. It's called a light switch. It doesn't work that early in the morning. <laughs> the, the lights don't come on around here in the office till like 6. <laughs> so I'm in there doing coffee in the dark. All right. Flashlight on your phone is that I guess. <laughs> anyway, good morning. I'm also th I'm thinking about start launching a new YouTube channel. It can only be a YouTube Another channel. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about this last night. Okay. So, and this could only be a YouTube channel. It cannot be live radio because <laughs> of FCC regulations. But I get these emails from people asking me, the, and, and look, they're honest questions. But, you know, my father always said growing up, he's like, no question is stupid if you don't know the answer. Right. 
But then there's some questions that people ask that you should just know better, right? So just keep and, to yourself. And, and, and yeah, just don't <laughs> ask that question. But the point is, is that there's a lot of you know financial literacy, you know, in yeah. the world. We don't we don't teach people the the use of money and and how to build yeah. wealth. And again, what you see on TikTok with everybody going, hey, you want to make ten thousand dollars a month? Be an affiliate, right? That that just slow down. It's financial caca. <laughs> so I'm thinking about launching a new YouTube channel. Okay. And we're we're gonna we're gonna go get people with when these people email with these financial questions we're gonna bring them into the studio mm -hmm. right and I'm gonna have like Gordon Ramsay show up <laughs> and do Gordon Ramsay on financial <laughs> illiteracy. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it will be that'll a, go. Yeah, but the profanity will be. <laughs> we may have to put plastic down on the carpet in here. <laughs> could be, <laughs> could be. But but obviously. You know, yeah. you get a good Gordon Ramsay type person to do this. <laughs> I think I think it's I think that could track. I, I think it probably I would. think that would get a lot of views. It's like that so. guy that uh, visits college campuses and asks, you know, simple questions. Oh, no, I'm like, just talking about some guy yelling at people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, like kind of like Hell's Kitchen meets financial literacy. Who, who is that guy that uh, drill sergeant army? Remember yeah. him? Yeah. We, when did you get somebody like that? There you go. Exactly. <laughs> uh, full metal jacket. Yes. 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 Exactly. All right. Uh, a couple of things this morning. Um, so markets are down a little bit. They were down a lot more last night. When I actually woke up at like 3 o'clock this morning and looked at futures, um, the NASDAQ was down over 1%. They've and, and futures have recovered here um, over the last little bit. So we'll see how we do kind of going into the market open this morning. As I was saying, we're sitting right on that critical support of the 200-day moving average as of yesterday's close. So, you know, what the markets are trying to figure out is really what's going to happen next. And interest rates in the 10-year have now broached 4% again. Um, we're taking a look at you know, the two-year Treasury rate, which is it's pushing 5% now. And this all kind of relays back. It's because what the bond market is suggesting, and again, if you take a look at Fed funds futures, they are now su suggesting that the Fed's terminal rate is now going to be 5.5%. Now, just remember, back at the beginning of December and really kind of going back to October, when this rally started, the, the, the general view by the markets and by most investors was, oh, the Fed's getting ready to stop hiking rates. You know, they're going to they're gonna pivot on their policy. And the expectation was, was about 5% on Fed funds being the terminal rate. We're now up to 5.5%. There's now a 40% chance which in January it was zero, there's now a 40% chance the Fed goes 50 basis points at this next meeting because of the strength of this economic data that we've had come in lately. So again, there's been a very significant narrative change to the markets, and the markets surprisingly are holding up very well here despite this narrative change. But that has certainly been coming into the pressure of the markets. And, and importantly, there's a big divergence between real yields and valuations. And one of those have to give. At some point, valuations are going to catch up with real yields or real yields are going to reverse and catch up with valuations. I suspect 
it'll be valuation that ultimately catches up with real yields because that has everything to do with economic growth. But here, let's let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, the Fed meeting, which is coming up very shortly. Um, I believe it's week after next, Mike. If that's not if I'm not mistaken, March twenty second. So I think it's what three, three weeks. Three weeks. Okay, so three weeks. Um, so, but again, so you know, Mike, this is kind of the. The, the big thing here, you know, I, I find, you know, there's there's a rising probability by the markets the Fed goes 50 basis points. But, you know, the Fed's been pretty clear that, you know, they want to wait for this lag effect. You know, do you think they go just 25 basis points, but with an expectation they might hike for two more meetings, maybe? Yeah, I think the Fed's starting to run into a little bit of a problem. They're running out of airstrip. They, they know they can't bring Fed funds up to six and a half or seven. It's just too much. So, but they're not going to say that out loud. They're going to they're going to continue with their very hawkish tone, but they have to leave themselves some some more room to hike. So, to me, it makes sense to just keep doing 25s. That way, they can go for at least three more meetings, which there's six seven weeks, but six weeks I think between each meeting. That buys them a lot of time to to talk hawkishly, to act hawkishly. But not, you know, 18 weeks, three meetings, you can bring Fed funds up 75 basis points to, what, five and a half. Yep. And they're still sticking to their word. They can talk a mean game. Maybe they can increase QT a little bit. Maybe they can do QT slightly different so it has a bigger effect. But I just think that doing 50 is a mistake, A, because they start running out of room if they need to keep doing more, and B, because it, it is the lag effects are so important here, and they're not giving time for the lag effects to take effect. The first rate hike still isn't even a year old. Yeah. So that was 25 basis points going from zero to 25. You know, we're, we're, we're in the upper fours talking about fives now. Yeah. And just, to, and just and Mike, real quick, just to put this in perspective for everybody. Um, so, you know, we talk about the lag effect. We talked about this before. Generally, it's nine to 12 months. So that first rate hike of 25 basis points, if you assume 12 months, hasn't even showed up. It's, it's showing up in the economy this month. But the importantly, and what Mike's talking about, there's 475 basis points of rate hikes. This is since March of last year. So in a one year period. March, March of last year to March of this year, which we just started. This is the most number of rate hikes by the Federal Reserve ever going back to like 1950s, right? If you go back and look at the at, the, at their historical records. So this has been the most aggressive series of rate hikes. Now, they've hiked rates more in the past. But if you go back to the late 70s, they continued hiking rates, but it took more than a year. So, you know, this has been a very aggressive rate hiking campaign. And when you start thinking about, to Mike's point, this lag effect on the economy, you know, we're starting to see housing slowing down. But, you know, the problem for the Fed and, and one argument for the Fed hiking 50 basis points is this is that if you look at the employment data, retail sales data, these type of things, the economy is still going very strong. And one of the arguments for hiking 50 basis points is to try to slap the consumer upside the head and say, stop spending money because I need you to slow down so that we can get inflation down. And, and so one of the arguments has been they need to hike 50 basis points to try to, to you know, try to put a bigger break on this stronger 
you know, in, uh, economic data. But, but Mike, I have to believe that the that the Federal Reserve is smart enough to know that a this economic data has a huge lag effect, and b there's potentially problems with the data because of what we did to the economy in 2020. And by shutting the, the economy down, laying all these people off, then turn around and hiring them back, you know, there, there's a, a potential problem with that data that it may take several years to kind of work out that kink. So, uh, so to your point, I think the Fed's going to be more pragmatic and say, hey, let's, you know, do this at 25 basis points, but just give, you know, and, but then talk very tough about continuing to hike rates further into the future. Yeah, I, I think that's right. They, they, are under, they understand the lag effects. They talk about it. They talk about their flaws in their data. They use the, J- Jerome Powell talks to a lot of business leaders and uh, industry leaders, and he knows what's going on. And he knows that the, the, on the ground, it's not as rosy as some of these economic data points are, are telling us. So he's got to act with caution at this point or he, you know, he's going to break something. The question is just how big is the break? Right. And and again, this is this is the big question. You know, one, there's some very interesting commentary out this morning um, talking about the senior loan officers lending survey. Right. Um, And this is really about the tightness of lending conditions. So if you want to go to the bank and borrow money, just how hard is it to borrow money? This has a big impact on the economy, obviously, because credit's the lifeblood of the economy. We'll talk about this when we come back from the break and and one of the messages that's sending, because if something is going to break, to Mike's point, it's going to be in the credit markets first. That's the thing that rolls over into the financial markets. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away. Into the confusion Can't you hear the sound that's in the air? investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com so welcome back to the show this morning so one of the big questions is and and this has been kind of the interesting debate as of late michael actually wrote an article on what day was that? Wednesday. Forget what day this, of the week this is. Huh. Um, Mike wrote an article yesterday talking about the no landing scenario and its equivalency to UFO sightings. Um, but, you know, this has been one of the big debates is, well, you know, the Fed's hiking rates. You have an inverted yield curve, but there's no recession. So maybe this time is different. We're not going to have a recession. Well, again, just as with Fed rate hikes, it takes time for a recession to occur as the economy slows down. So, you know, again, if, if you think about something very simplistic, like throwing a ball into the air. So if I throw a ball in the air, at, there, is a, there is a point at its apex that it is literally hovering. 
for a very brief second. It had the, the momentum has de- declined and the ball comes to a complete stop midair before it begins to drop back to earth. Now, if the recession is technically when the ball hits the ground, it takes some time for the ball to fall from its apex back to the zero line or the, or the ground. And that's the same thing with economic data. Just because we haven't had a recession yet doesn't mean the economy isn't slowing down. We had such a big surge in economic growth because of $5 trillion worth of liquidity that as that liquidity leaves the system, it's going to take time for that momentum of economic growth to slow down enough to put the economy back into a recession. Okay, now, having said that, this is so there are some indicators now this goes back to what mike was saying just a second ago before the break talking about this lag effect and the fed's tightening policy and actually goes to the heart of his article uh yesterday as well is that we're starting to see the evidence of those things in the economy that have a good leading indication of a recession so yield curves we've talked about those and it's not when the yield curves invert. That's the warning side. It's when they uninvert that is your indication of recession. And it's those uninversion yield curves. Another one is the, is the senior lending officer survey that comes out. And that talks about that you know bank loans in particular are lenders wanting to loan money out. And that has become very tight as of late. And if you take a look at history... Where we are with the Senior Lending Loan Officer Survey right now, we're somewhere between 2007 and early 2008. So again, it's kind of a leading indicator. Now, you'll remember back in 2007, um, the economy was slowing down, but everything was okay. And in 2008, Ben Bernanke was still saying, it's a soft landing economy, it's a Goldilocks scenario, subprime is contained, and it wasn't until December of 2008 that we, you know, the National Bureau of Economic Research out, came out and said, oh, yeah, you, the recession started last year, right? Everybody knew we were in a recession by the time Lehman came around. But up to that point, everything was fine, right? We were having a little bit of a decline in the markets. Bear Stearns failed, but they got bailed out and the markets went right, right back up. There was no concern, right? Very similar to today. So again, we're talking about these lag effects. And Mike, to your article yesterday, you know, this kind of this idea of this no landing scenario is really kind of interesting because people that have lived through these periods, but now look, if you've never been through it, if you weren't investing in the markets back in 2007, 2008, and there's a lot of people that weren't, you know, you don't really, it's easy to fall into these narratives about no landing scenarios and soft landings. But, you know, having been through this before, Mike, you know, we've seen, you know, these these indicators before warn about, you know, worst possible outcomes and people just were, were in denial of it until after the fact. Right. After I wrote the article, after I published it uh, Wednesday, uh, the better title should have been No Landing, No Way. <laughs> the more, you know, as I as I wrote it and dug into it and produced charts and went through data, it almost seems impossible. Now, I'm not going to say it's impossible after everything we've been through for the last three years, because there is a lot of stimulus in the system that's just unaccountable for. You know, it, it's from a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and it's still out there and it's real and it's counteracting some of these headwinds. And, uh, 
we'd be dumb not to see that. So, so there, there are some positives to the economy still from all that stimulus, but there's a lag effect on that too. And that lag effect basically means the stimulus is slowly leaking from the system. How much is left, how much is leaking, it's really hard to tell. And some of it is psychological, it's consumer sentiment and people want to buy cars, they want to travel, they want to do stuff, they want to reward themselves. Um, they just got raises, so they, they feel empowered to spend more, to go out to dinner more. And we're seeing that in the data. But here, and Lance, when you said this is like 2007, 2008, mm -hmm. there may not be a subprime crisis this time, but the bigger problem is there's a lot more debt in the system than there was in 2007, eight. And not a lot of debt when I say there's more debt, it's not just the not the amount of debt, the notional value of debt, it's debt as a percentage of GDP. Mm -hmm. GDP is essentially our income. It's our ability, our ability to pay for the debt. So the debt to GDP ratio for corporations, for the US government, and to a much lesser degree for individuals is much higher than it was in 2007, 2008. So I think, and we're, we're at a point, the economy has been trending lower for 30 years. And I write about this in the article. That's a function of more debt, which initially boosts economic growth, but then becomes a tax on economic growth if it's not used productively. So you look at productivity, which is the productivity growth rate is still growing. We're still more productive today than yesterday, but that rate of growth is slowing and the demographics are starting to turn against us, but they are still behind us. So they help a little bit, but the amount of help we get from productivity and demographics is less and less. And because of that, the the true economic, the, the, the natural economic growth rate now is estimated to be between one and a half and 2%. And even the Fed's long-term forecast calls for 1.8% growth. So you have a 1.8% growth economy with 5% plus interest rates, and that's not gonna go well. It, the, the interest rates over where the natural growth rate is, is just way too high for an economy that is over leveraged and very dependent on debt. The problem is the debt doesn't just all come due at once. The problem is we don't just all go buy cars the same day. I may not need a car for six months, so it doesn't matter to me what car loans have done. But when I go into that showroom and I realize I can't afford that $50,000 car because the, the loan is 7% and I either have to settle for a used car or a, a lesser model, that starts slowly affecting the economy. But there's only, uh, yeah, I don't know the numbers, but just say a few percent of the people every month that need to or want to go buy a car. So you're, you know, there's just a small percentage of the population, but it's increasing every day, every month that is being affected by interest rates. Same thing in the in the housing market that the you would think the housing market would be crushed with mortgages at 7%. But and buyers have stopped buying, but sellers aren't selling there. There are very few homes on the market. The supply of homes today is still of existing homes, not new homes. Mm -hmm. It's still about three months of supply. That's the lowest it's been outside of the last couple in a if you go back before the pandemic, that's the lowest it's been for at least five years before the pandemic. So buyers aren't buying, sellers aren't selling. So it really doesn't affect 
house prices if no one's doing anything. It's just <laughs> well, at it, a standstill. Right. And, that, and that's the interesting thing about higher mortgage rates, right, is that, you know, there are houses that are coming for sale, right? And that's, you know, we're, we're getting into that kind of selling season right now. People want to sell their house to, you know, right. move or whatever. But if I'm a homeowner, this is the big conundrum about mortgage rates. So at, when mortgage rates are three or three and a half or four percent, then as a, if, if I'm looking to sell my house, I go, OK, I can sell my house, take that cash, roll it into a new house, get a three percent mortgage and, you know, three and a half percent mortgage, whatever it is. And I can make that move. If I'm a buyer, I'm going, OK, great, I'll buy a house and my mortgage is three and a half. When when mortgage rates go to seven People are going, A, I can't afford to buy a house because now the mortgage is too much. And as a seller, I'm going, great, I can sell my house, but I don't want a 7% mortgage. So I'm not going to well, sell my house, right? <laughs> and so it's, right. it's, you know, I'm just going to sit where I am. I'm fine until maybe when rates come down, I'll sell my house. You know, but it's, it's an interesting conundrum. It's a standoff between buyers and sellers. It's all driven by high rates. Well, think about this. Let's just say you have a million dollar house with just a little bit of equity in it. And you say, I want to sell and I want to downsize. So you put, you know, you, you want to sell a million dollar house and then you're saying, OK, well, what can I afford? Well, to have the same mortgage payment, the answer may be six hundred fifty, seven hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're going to sell a million dollar house, a bigger house, buy a six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollar house. You know, and in theory, you're doing that to lower your mortgage and you don't need all that space, but it's the same mortgage payment. So I think a lot of sellers are like, well, I, I might as well just stay where I'm at. Yeah. There's no reason to move. Yeah, and, and, and it's a little bit of bad math. I mean, basically, if I'm selling a million-dollar house to buy a $600,000 house, go ahead and have, have a higher mortgage payment. You can always refinance later. You know, when if it, you know if you wait too long, the price of your million-dollar home is going to become 900000 <laughs> So you may be selling at the worst possible time. Uh, you know, but it's an interesting conundrum. There's, there's definitely the standoff in the home markets because of high mortgage rates. But that's also in the rest of the market as well. High interest rates impact the consumer. That's what slows economic growth. That's what the Fed wants to lower inflation. We'll be right back after the break. Wrap up the show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So one of the things that the Fed has been discussing lately with their policy meetings has been the strong U.S. employment growth. And I thought this was interesting because John Hilsenrath. So quick backstory on John Hilsenrath. He works for the Wall Street Journal, and he was the former Fed whisperer before he was very unceremoniously dumped for the younger and more controllable Nick Timros, <laughs> who has now taken his spot. Um, but he wrote a very interesting article called, it's on the Wall Street Journal today, it's called Long Robust U.S. Labor Markets Show Signs of Cooling. And this has been one of the big discussions Mike and I have had, you know, recently as well, and is that when you take a look at these employment numbers, there's a lot of seasonal adjustments to them, and, and the numbers just don't really seem to jive with 
kind of what we see going on real time elsewhere in the markets, right? So if you take a look at some of the real time economic data and you look at the employment data, it just doesn't really kind of line up. And this was kind of the point that John Hilsenrath touches on in this article for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, just let me read you a quote, and then we'll talk about this a little bit, Mike. Uh, figures from Zip Recruiter Inc. and Recruit Holdings Company, two large online recruiting companies, show the number of job postings on their sites declined more late last year than the Labor Department report on job openings for that period indicated. The company's report available jobs. Uh, the, the company's report available jobs fell further this year, potentially foretelling to a decrease in openings in coming Labor Department reports and a slowdown in hiring this year. This is something Mike and I have talked about previously. And when it comes to employment data, we have a lot of real-time economic data on employment, ADP, um, you know, paychecks. These kind of payroll companies. These are the companies that. If you want to hire somebody and you and these are the largest payroll companies out there, you you tell them, hey, I just hired Mike Leibowitz to come work for me. Here's his salary. He's full time or he's part time or he's 1099. They have all that data. But yet the the Labor Department still uses a telephone survey, calls 60,000 homes you know, for the quarter and says, you know, hey, are you working or not? And they adjust those numbers and they do a lot of mathematical things and, and make the 60,000 person phone survey apply to 330 million people across the country. So, you know, rather than using real time on the ground data, we're still doing this other stuff. And that's why there's this discrepancy potentially and of course with a lot of adjustments about the birth death adjustment then it's kind of a wild guess at you know how many businesses were created or, or, or failed those numbers are wildly inaccurate but it all has an impact on these employment data. same thing with job openings mike and i've talked about the number of job openings that, that you know when you see layoffs that are going on with companies even though a lot of them have been tech related they're if they're laying off people there have to be less job openings, yet we keep seeing these job openings numbers, you know, ratchet up. And, and so now what we're getting, and this is what John uh, Hilsenrath talks about, is that the, da the data from the real-time sources are becoming markedly different than what the government sources are reporting. And that will potentially lead to a bigger adjustment to the data. And this is this is what we've talked about before, is that be careful with this data because the economic data published by the government is subject to very large revisions, particularly when you go into a recession. You get this backdating. And again, we don't care about you know, the markets don't care about this. The media will give you those. Oh, yeah, we, we had, you know, the employment this month was 100,000 people and we revised the last three months by four million people. You won't nobody will know that. Right. But. You'll see this slowdown in the data, but the, the adjustments to the data, and this is why the National Bureau of Economic Research is always late in, you know, name, dating a recession because they have to wait for these revisions. And then they come back and say, oh, yeah, the recession started nine months ago. Well, it doesn't do you much good as an investor. That's why we need to pay attention to what this data is telling us real time and apply that to what our outlooks are. Mike, your thoughts on this? Yeah, the job openings is is probably one of the easiest to explain why it's so high. If you owned a restaurant 10, 15 years ago, casual restaurants, so you're hiring not a lot of professional waiters, but a lot of 18 to 20 somethings, you're always losing uh, staff. 
they're always quitting, they're not showing up, you have to fire them. So 15 years ago, you would have a uh, job opening sign on the front and maybe, maybe you'd spend some money and post it in the uh, local newspaper. But that was expensive to post an ad in a paper. So a lot of times you were always hiring, but there was no record of you hiring. Now we have Indeed and we have all these other online job uh, sources. So if you own a restaurant, even if you're fully staffed, you're going to constantly have an ad up there saying that you're hiring because you know employees will be quitting. They always do. There's a lot of turnover in that industry. And even if you're in a, a different industry, why wouldn't you post on Indeed and collect resumes? And maybe maybe you'll just find someone that you really like and bring them on. But there's it's almost free if it's not free to post you know, job openings, you collect resumes or you actually hire. And it, so it's you're comparing things going on now because of technology to what was going on 5, 10, 15 years ago. And it's not fair. Yeah. The other the other thing about employment is the breadth of employment. So, you know, it's not just how many people are working, but what kind of jobs are they working in? And we're seeing some of the higher paying jobs, especially in the technology industry, being lost at the same time, hospitality, restaurants, lower end services, which are at the low end of the pay scale in general, not always, but in general, are the ones that are picking up all these jobs. So, you know, you're shifting jobs to an industry that is very economic dependent. When the economy slows, those jobs, all these jobs that we've picked up over the last year, which have largely been part-time, first of all, most of them are part-time, and they've been in the hospitality industries, they're going to be lost in a heartbeat. Well, and again, so, and, and just and to your point, yes, and that's that's a very important point. And, and let's also think about the shift in our economy since the pandemic in particular, because that's what's driving a lot of this, these lower-end wage-paying jobs. You know, coming out of the pandemic, that was where really companies like DoorDash and Uber Eats and um, Grubhub and, and these type of delivery services that, you know, basically, you know, pay drivers minimum wage plus tips, you know, to deliver food. Those really came into fruition. And, you know, there's now a lot of jobs being created in delivery services and, and, and convenience services and these type of things. They don't pay a lot um, and they have very high turnover. So you're to your point. In, you know, I'm going to keep job postings out there for drivers and, and waiters and hostesses and, and those type of things uh, in the leisure and hospitality sector because those jobs are getting, you know, again, to your point, they're quitting to go back to school or they're quitting to go take a higher paying job in the same industry, whatever it is. There's a massive number of hire, uh, of turnover. So I just keep those jobs posted all the time, to your point. Like those resumes, but we've created so many of these, you know, FedEx delivery services, Amazon delivery services. You know, you, you can go to. Uh, uh, I was I've told the story before about I had an Uber driver who would who drove for Uber, Lyft, FedEx, and Amazon, and he had four <laughs> part-time jobs working delivery services for four different companies. And so, when if he didn't have an Uber, Lyft, he would go deliver FedEx packages. You know, so it was. It, but that's a lot of this, and this is also part of what Mike was saying. Also is that we have a lot of people working three and four part-time jobs and we count them as fully employed. So, but, Right, but we can critique all the numbers and the data we want. The economy is doing just fine now, right? 
Sure. The, the, the true number of layoffs is still very low. The you look at like retail spending, consumer spending, it's still going well. So, it, you know, as we look forward, the question, it, it's the lag effect. And when will the consumer start getting hit? Because the consumer is two thirds of this economy, me and you and the money we spend going out to dinner and movies and vacations and cars and houses. So, you know, while we can debate the data, we don't think it's as strong as they say. It's also not very weak. It, it's not we're not saying that we're in a recession now. We're not. The economy is kind of moving along, but but it will get hit by higher interest rates, especially as companies take actions when their interest, when their bonds come due and they now all of a sudden have to issue a new bond at seven, six, seven, eight percent, where it was two or three percent. They're going to have to reduce staff somewhere. They're going to have to cut costs somewhere. And that all trickles down. It just takes a long time for that to happen, especially when there's still so much stimulus coursing through the system. So this is going to be a drawn out mm -hmm. uh, affair, unfortunately. And I think that, you know, back to our original conversation, I think the Fed knows that and they know whether they say it or not, that there's a good chance of a recession at some point in the next six months to year or whatever it may be. And they don't want to make that recession horrendous by by raising rates too far, too fast. Uh, so too, too late. Too, well, <laughs> I, I but I, I agree. But I think at this point, they I think they think they're best served going 25 at a time, but talking a big game, talking yeah. 50 and doing 25. No, I no, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. And, and I think the Fed has, you know, again, I think we'll find out, and, and it's a function of time. And, and to your point, you know, the economy is doing okay right now. We're, we're still fine. But, again, we are slowing down. It's just we haven't slowed down enough to be technically in a recession. But at some point, you know, I think we're going to look back and go, yeah, we probably should have stopped hiking rates at 4% or 3.5%, let that work through the economy, and then maybe raise some more if we need to. But we'll, we'll find out, you know, kind of what happens. I, I have a feeling sooner than later. Anyway, all right, that wraps up the show for the day. Uh, tomorrow, Danny Ratliff, Richard Rosso for Financial Fitness Friday. Make sure and get by our website for our latest articles. Of course, those are up. Michael's article on the no landing scenario and UFOs on the website now. Also, subscribe and get this weekend's newsletter. We're going through valuations and earnings and the importance of what's happening with the markets right now. That'll be in this weekend's newsletter. Um, so make sure you're subscribed at the website. We'll email that to you Saturday morning. That's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow.